Hello and welcome to the Block Solid Podcast, where we talk about the evolution of the blockchain technology, the property market, and the entrepreneurs that participate in the space. I'm here with my friend Eyal Herzog, a pioneering entrepreneur and visionary leader in the blockchain industry. He's the founder and the CEO of DWeb, the builder of the BBS network, and a, and a former co-founder and product architect at Bancor which is, of course, the first DeFi protocol to go live on Ethereum and also the inventor of the liquidity pools in the decentralized finance space. Eyal is here to talk to us today about, of course, DWeb and what BBS Network stands for. And in general, I'm just super curious to learn about, you know, what was the background that led Eyal to his role in developing and co-founding this first DeFi protocol and, and uh, where we're going from here. Hey, Yal, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Super excited. I mean, I, I think I keep telling people when they're asking me, like, how I got into the crypto and blockchain space. And, you know, I told them, Yal told me to check it out. <laughs> <laughs> It was like, it was like, oh, I'm so in. sorry. <laughs> I know, don't worry. It's, it's for the good. It's for the <laughs> Eventually. Yeah, it's for the best. Wag me, wag me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, I remember we were sitting um, uh, in a cafe in Ramadgan and you were like, Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. And I was back then set on doing a video app. Um, uh, with I think uh, uh, that's how I think we met um, mm-hmm. through uh, your uh, one of your uh, co-founders Meta Cafe or, or employees, yeah. So um, which was actually your first your first was it your first startup Meta Cafe? No, no, my first startup was uh, actually in 1998. Wow! In the first dot com boom and bust called mm-hmm. the Contact mm-hmm. Networks, uh, we were at Contact dot com. It was a social network. Okay. The first generation before web apps, it was actually an application that you download and it's a social network. Mm-hmm. But you know, uh, in 2001, no one believed in uh, the future of the internet or social network or any of that. Wow. So, yeah. And what happened to that startup? Yeah, we had to shut it down. Wow. It was impossible to raise money for a social network in 2001, <laughs> at least for us. I mean, yeah. Uh, I don't think anyone else succeeded. Years after that, uh, you know, I managed to uh, start my my you know next dream that you know was always with me, which was about um, you know user about social media about user generated content, and that was MetaCafe, and that was two thousand and three. Wow. So was like, and we were like the first internet company that raised funds in Israel, uh, like by far. So, so we were like through this winter of like three years winter at mm-hmm. that time, which was yeah. a very harsh winter. Yeah. Uh, which was ridiculous. And I think I took a lot, a lot, a lot of lessons for that for the blockchain industry because I clearly remember how I, I was amazed to see that people did not think that social networks is going to be a thing on the internet. And yeah. I was like, guys, are you, I mean, yeah, a couple of stocks were like, you know, bloated beyond proportion and crashed. It has nothing to do with the fundamentals. We have a global network here and people can connect. And 
you know, and, and they can know about each other all the time, what they're doing and share their stuff and images, and, you know, and, and, and just no one bought it. Everyone were like, you know, focused on the mobile internet. They thought, oh, the internet failed. Maybe the mobile internet would be successful. But of course, you know, a few years later, uh, Facebook was born, you know. Yeah. Uh, there was also yeah. Plaxo along the way. It was an interesting evolution of uh, social networks. and. Uh... Yeah, I think back in the day, the investors and the whole industry was a little older and they weren't paying attention to the younger demographic. And that, of course, now has changed a lot with like TikTok and, you know, just people, younger people making a lot of money from new industries, you know, and crypto generation as well. I know people that started investing in crypto from age of 12, you know, um, and they learn all of these things from games. So definitely the whole spectrum has changed. Like, I remember in 1999, like 2000, I was, I used to spend the whole night, like sitting in all these AOL chat rooms. And then you had this um, other apps where you would be matched with people randomly, you know, and then all the social networks, like it was evident. Chat roulette. Yeah. Yeah. Chat roulette. Thank you. But like you are one of those people that see these things and are thinking ahead of the others and are saying, wow, we can actually harness that power and make money. And that's what's ex so exciting for me about talking to you because you always kind of ahead of the trend. So, you know, I, I, the thing with me is that I, I started being, you know, fascinated, completely fascinated by the computer by the age of seven. And, you know, I started programming and, uh, you know, that was 42 years ago when you think about it. And, and as, you know, as I started programming, it was on the Atari and Apple and, you know, Commodore and all those. And, and I saw the standard emerge to PC. And, mm -hmm. and, and then I saw the power of that standard and the explosion of personal computers. As soon as we had the agreement, and I saw that in a very young age of how I, I, I saw the trend. And then, and then I remember that I started to use uh, networks uh, before the internet. I used CompuServe and BBSs. BBS was a big deal back mm -hmm. then, uh, bulletin board systems that you would dial up and people would kind of, you know, uh, have their servers waiting for your call. You can download files. You can speak in message boards. You can send yep. emails. Even between BBSs, they, mm -hmm. they had like a network. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember getting so excited about it and about CompuServe and about, you know, the, the what, what it enables so I can be in chat rooms with people from all around the world. This wow. is pre-internet. And then, and that was the crazy thing that I, I heard about this thing called the internet which is kind of the network of the network. Uh, and I, I I remember getting so excited about it. And, and again, why did I get so excited about it? Because uh -huh. I've already experienced the power of standards yeah. with, with PC. And, you know, network is not less important. Uh, I always say is there's only three things you can do with information. You can process yeah. it. This is what the brain does. You can transfer it over space, which is what we do when we talk, and you yeah. can store it over time, which is what we do when we write. And there's no other things you can do with information because it's created through processing, then it can move through time and space. That That's all, there's just no more. And the computer is what processes information, 
Uh-huh. The network is what transfers information. So I've experienced those revolutions as a young person. And, and now I'm experiencing the third one, which yeah. is a, a, a standard not for transferring information, but a standard for storing information. Mm. I always say people that difference between blockchain protocol and internet protocols is while internet protocol carry information through space, blockchain protocols carry information through time. That's the difference. And while the internet protocol generate for us a public network, which is a concept that no one understood and no one still realized its full potential that is beyond anyone's imagination, of course, turned out to be beyond anyone's imagination. So that's the power of a standard network. You can only go imagine what is the power in the standard database technology. Right. Because it's a technology for storing information. And storing information is the big deal. Even when the first computer came out, we had like the, the enigma just you know breaking uh, the the nazi codes and uh-huh. then you know and, and that was just information processing and then you know in nasa they used network to connect several computers together but that still wasn't like a big yeah. big deal but the big re- you know revolution was the database mm. when when database you know were invented then all the banks, all the governments, all the big corporations, it's like revolutionized the world during yeah. the 60s and the 70s. And, you know, we, we were born yeah. into that. You mean the elect- like the digital database? Because it used to yeah. be like the database was like a cards, you know, and with, with dots on them. And then you would like yeah, put yeah, them yeah. in. And That's kind of your database, like printed out in, in, in a closet. And then like finally you had like something huge and then going down to like floppy and disk and now it's essentially a database that you can access from a network if you have that and and it doesn't matter uh, uh, Mm -hmm. how you do that it's it can be even a terminal architect it doesn't matter as soon as you have this infrastructure where you can process you can transfer and you can store information you Mm -hmm. got everything's covered and the, the world changes completely yeah and now in, in the process, so I, I you know, there, there is the anthropological cycle of, you know, of, of, of thinking, writing, uh, thinking, mm-hmm. speaking, writing. Yeah. There is the, uh, the, the technological cycle of computer network database. And then mm-hmm. there is the sociological cycle. It's the social <laughs> cycle, essentially, and because it's about agreement. It's about mass agreement. It's about the agreement about the PC being the standard platform that everyone builds and everyone writes software from. And we all agree that it's going to be around the PC and no one owns the architecture. It's public. Right. And, mm-hmm. and, and it continues to be around the network, about the internet. Which yeah. is a, it's not an actual network. It's an agreement. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a, exists in the mental sphere, right? Because there's yeah. no, it's not in the physical sphere. It's, it's just an, a, an agreement between people. Uh, by the way, Processing information is not just hardware, it's hardware and software. Mm-hmm. And we saw a lot of monopolies forms around infrastructure software yeah. where we created standard software. We call it open source. It's mm-hmm. also it's a public software. It doesn't belong to anyone. It's a standard. We see the power of the, you know, the, the open source software enabled yeah. like the revolution we, we experienced mm-hmm. in, in many ways. Yeah. And, and the hardware. Are, 
within the transition to public database, which is bigger than everything else we've experienced combined 10 times. Because right. when we're talking about databases, first of all, we're talking about the biggest companies in the world in terms of market cap that, you know, they're only asset, you know, I could say, or their main asset or their main competitive advantage would be the right way to say it, is their exclusive access to their database. Mm-hmm. Whether uh, Facebook, Google, Airbnb, yep. Uber, uh, you know, Amazon, it's, mm-hmm. it's all about their exclusive. If, if anyone could access the database, guess what? You know, <laughs> yeah, permission and, kind of the acts, yeah. Mm-hmm. And tech monopolies is, have always been temporary. Uh, they, they always form around um you know about uh, around places where you can generate network effect and own that network effect so if i create my own computer pr- platform i can be a monopoly because now everyone is building for my platform and you know if i created my own operating system i can be a monopoly if i created my own network my own private network i can be a monopoly because my, you know i'm the biggest one everyone's connected to me uh, everyone goes to me and if i created a big database i'm a monopoly which is the age we live in today uh, the age of database monopolies. We, we all the other ages we've been passing through in the last uh, forty years, but now now we're in the age of uh, database monopolies, and you know we are working on on the solution for that. But just like open source, it didn't yeah. you know, start in a day. It, it was it's a long process. The transition from closed mm-hmm. source to open source. Got it. So you mentioned the software is open source, but the hardware is now more or less distributed, right? Like it's you can use so, any sort of hardware. Yeah. So you know, with with the hardware, uh, you know, the PC standard again. Even if the hardware was not open source, the fact that you 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 could know what the interface should, should be allowed any Chinese manufacturers to build PC with no problem. And anyone to even create a central processing unit and compete with Intel or AMD. Uh-huh. Or, uh, so, so in terms of specification, it was an open market that anyone can compete in. Now, interestingly enough, uh, no other than Facebook, they realized that you know they have huge hardware costs for all those servers because they have three billion users, and apparently you need a lot of servers for three billion users. Yep, and. They thought to themselves how they can reduce their hardware costs, and and they they started a project uh, for open source hardware, which mm. is essentially completely open source design for wow. servers, computers, for chips, for you know any any part that you need in the computer. So any manufacturer can actually start building great PCs without having an engineering team that will design them. Wow. Just you know, just take the open source design and implement them, and that, uh, from what I know, and uh, you know, I didn't mm-hmm. dive into that too, too uh, but from my, what I know, it greatly reduced the costs of of you know of hardware platforms and just sure. the fact that the designs are open source. I love it. You can probably three D print the parts, and then you know, any yeah. kid in Africa can build their own PC. That would be amazing, right? Yeah. 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 Amazing. All right. And so you were in the Israeli Defense Forces in the 90s. Is there anything that you picked up there that kind of influenced you? I I think I learned there more than I learned my entire life before that. You were in the computer. uh, You were dealing. Before that, I was sitting like twice a week, uh, you know, with my cousin. We were programming for fun, playing games, all, all, all that kind of stuff. You know, it was one of the things that I did as a kid. Yeah. But then, you know, I, I, 
I, I joined eight, eight, 200 in a period where they had no training whatsoever. So just first day, you know, this intelligence unit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and first day I got program like development job. They, (laughs) they, they had this program where they found kids that knew how to program already. And they picked me up from there. And, and, uh, I, you know, for the first time, first of all, I have to say in my life, I was happy to wake up in the morning. In, in the middle of the week, because twelve years when there was school, I I didn't like you know You're I didn't like sitting in class. Mm-hmm. Really didn't like it. I have this thing where it's very hard for me to learn something if I don't understand why am I right. learning. You're the creative purpose. type. Yeah, and I you know I'm 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 curious about doing all sort of stuff and learning what I need to learn in order to do that, but just to learn. To know mm-hmm. doesn't doesn't go through and anyway it was a tough twelve years. Uh, luckily we had breaks in school, but but in in first time when I came to the military, you know, nine hours a day I'm doing what I love. You know that was mm-hmm. like amazing for me, amazing. I, I got to program and build stuff and learn so much. So and. You know, it was a network of over a thousand computers that that my my kind of team was responsible for. And after two years, I became the the, the team leader. So it was my responsibility at the age of twenty one, like to manage a network of over a thousand computers, or you know, dealing with every problem where there's no internet. You you cannot go to the internet to look for for answers. At some point, it started to become become a thing, but um, but you know it it happened. The internet started to happen when I was in the military. Uh, I joined in ninety three uh, until ninety six. So I was four years in the Israeli intelligence, and so being four years in 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 a, in a unit in a, in a role that really you are responsible for the IT, the software that installed and the developed software for a thousand computers it it taught me so much so much I, I so right after that i was picked up to a startup that was kind of bought after 18 months by cisco it was cisco uh first uh it was in protocols networks this kind of stuff it was acquired by cisco and i moved to, to the silicon valley but and then two things happened. First, I started to work for Cisco, and I realized I'm I can't do that. No, <laughs> not for me. It's it's worse than school. You know? Yeah. <laughs> what is you know, you exchange business card and meeting with people from your own companies, and everything takes so much time. You know, I, I'm the reason I'm in the consumer space is because I I I, I feel like I need a fast cycle. From yeah. the moment of idea until people are using they it and I see it. it's good or bad, it's like you know I need to be three months. Yeah, uh, and 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 you know with other industries it could be three years, so, which is for me unbearable. Mm-hmm. And and anyway, I I, I was in Cisco uh, for like three months for a very very short while, and at that time ICQ were sold to AOL, Israeli company. By yeah. three Israeli guys were sold to AOL for like four hundred million dollars plus, a crazy number. Yeah, and I was like, oh my god! And and that was the first instant messaging. They invented instant messaging. Yeah, everybody was on it. I was on it. 
And and I was like, oh my God, I mean, this is like, you know, a, a company can actually do that, change the world in this way. Because before that, it was like web, email, it was internet, it was started, there was almost no concept of online services or not to mention, you know, social where you, that was the first one essentially that became popular. And I was like, you know, I was very, very, very inspired by by this and immediately started with my cousin that, you know, happened to be in the Silicon Valley with me working at Cisco as an intern at that time, coincidence. You know him, by the way, Arnon uh, from uh, Arnon Dinur. From, uh, yeah. Anyway, so another coincidence, you know, life is full of, of coincidence that his wife traveled to Israel for like a month and he said, you know, we're working the same company. Maybe you come stay at my place. So I stayed at his place for like a month as I relocated there. Mm-hmm. And for that month, we were like going crazy about it. You know, it's it's 98. Yeah. The, the market go crazy. And ICQ was just sold. Israeli guys. And we're like just thinking about ideas. Yeah. Like, what can we build? What can we do? What can it? And you know, by the end of the process, you know, we we came up with those two concepts. Uh, that one of them was social network, the other one was social media, <laughs> uh, which, which wow. kind of guided uh, my life for you know for the next uh, yeah. fifteen years or so. Yeah. I mean, I wonder in general this whole social social media and and the whole. Uh, evolution of communication is it really guided and informed by the loneliness epidemic that people are experiencing no I, so so no I, I i think the loneliness epidemic is is more uh, you know related to to the fact that we are uh we are much better uh, we're in much tighter communication with the same people that are not necessarily in, in our geographical location. So, you know, we're with our friends on WhatsApp groups and with the wife and with the kids and on the phone and with the family abroad and everyone is like, uh, and, and there's just, I think less, you know, there's less community activity, obviously, uh, it has an effect. The TV had a big effect on that, and I'm sure social media has a big effect on that. That people are because those things they they actually make people feel less lonely when you know people turn on the TV uh, many times not to feel lonely, and you can even see the setup on many shows is like people sitting you know at the desk around you and talking to you and maybe you're not part of the conversation but you know they're looking at you all the time so you must be important um but but it's kind of a fictional social settings that is very good to for 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 not feeling lonely and i think obviously it has an effect but i i i do think that it has a much broader effect that is um you know being discovered Day by day, it's a very slow effect, but you know, over time, we can uh, even see it. And uh, it was David Boyd that predicted it back in '99 on an iconic interview that he did about the internet in '99. And he said that the stuff that will come out from this network is unimaginable in terms of content. He was talking about content. He was, he was, 
he was seeing that the layers of the world that are not represented in the kind of official narrative that you saw mm-hmm. on, on the mainstream media as we, we, we knew mm-hmm. it as kids um, are, are going to change everything and, and, and you know, make things look really weird. And I think we're, we're seeing that happening. Got it. I think the amount of information that is being, you know, exposed and disclosed and, you know, there's people walking with T-shirts saying conspiracy theorists were right. You know, it's like, and we're seeing so many kind of um, disclosures, I would say. You know, even lately, people started to talk on CNN about aliens and about, you know, people in the military, you know. Yeah, people uh, just started talking a lot more. alien aircraft that, that landed. I mean, crazy stuff, really crazy stuff, even for me. And yeah. I, I used to deal with crazy stuff. And and I think that this is what social media, because what social media did is it it broke yeah, a barrier of, of uh, Nassim Taleb talks about it uh, a lot, that it used to be that news would pass between people. That's how news mm-hmm. would pass. Uh, your yes. paper would be local and, you know, there was no telegraph that, that would even tell you what happened in a different city. Mm-hmm. It, it used to be not, not relevant to you that some disaster happened in another city that you barely know, you know because there's no telegraph to kind of uh, report to you about it. But but as we, we saw the changes in the media and obviously newspapers, telegraph, TV, radio, then it became uh, we, we came into this period, which was very short, I would say, uh, in the historical sense of where all the information about what's going on in the world outside your immediate reality is going through a very small number of sources. So what happens is that we open up to the entire world, but it was very, very filtered by its nature because, you know, it was new technologies and by nature very centralized in the beginning. It was just government, you know, broadcasting TV. So there was kind of an, kind of, I would say, official narrative or, you know, very small number of official narratives that, that kind of were consensus among the population. And, you know, obviously social media broke that barrier huh. and allowed everyone to become a broadcast you know a podcaster and it made it meritocracy yeah. and made it a meritocracy and and i think that's the craziest thing that and and that's why you know on 98 i was so excited about the idea of social media because i'll tell you how it started it started that was before video online right mm-hmm. and it started like how can we know which is the funniest joke in the world yeah. Like this thing, I mean, jokes are user-generated content, so to speak, and you know, you have mm-hmm. joke, you have character, but can you send a lot of people and see by their responses, by the rating, what is the funniest joke at, at, at any given moment? Or on, on Reddit, you probably. Can. And and that's kind of a, just a thought that starts a you know longer process of an, an evolution of an idea that obviously yeah. takes months and months and months, but. Um, that's that, that excited me, and that's why I started Medica Fan in two thousand and three, yeah. which was you know, a social media site, uh, because I believe that you know when 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 things go to a meritocracy, mm-hmm. uh, then the amount of innovation, the amount of creativity that you'll see is going to be groundbreaking. I, I think the secret of evolution, and I wrote about it. Uh, an article. It's my pin post on Twitter. My Twitter okay. is 
my first name, Eyal. So, so on twitter.com slash Eyal, my pin post is really about, is really about that. It's about what's, I see the problem, the problems in the world today. And I think that as long as we evolve, we're overcoming our problems, we're getting better, we're happy. And we did evolve and got over amazing number of issues and problems. And we got a lot better in the last hundred years. No one that, you know, would go back hundred years to live. It's not, you know, it's nothing to compare to today. Uh, even in, just look at the chance of your kid to die before he's five, you know, no one mm-hmm. went back this time. So we made tremendous progress in so many aspects. Mm-hmm. Uh, and generated so much wealth, but and I think that as long as we evolve, we feel good. But the problem is that uh, in order to evolve, the, the only way that we evolve is through something we like to, uh, uh, we, that is called choice mm-hmm. and the freedom to choose. Because you know we like to think that we evolve because we have we're so brilliant and we have such great ideas. But the reality is that ninety nine percent of the ideas are shit, right. and and. The only way to test an idea is to test the idea, see if people respond to it, if people like it, maybe mm-hmm. you'll change the idea, maybe you'll adapt it, but that's the only way to know. And only it. in places where you have free choice, you have evolution, like in restaurants. The fact that I choose what restaurant I go, that, that's how the free market works entirely. Right. The choice that makes things better because I choose the businesses that I like, I'm not choosing the businesses I don't mm-hmm. like, they die. If many people feel like me and those who succeed and everyone see, oh, look, people like that, you know, mm-hmm. look how, how good they're doing. And that's how we evolve by, by proving, by letting people choose. And, 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 and that's how species evolve. You know, even yeah. women, they choose male, they choose based on parameters that, you know, they think would, would be helpful for the evolution. And it works. Species evolve through that yeah. selection mechanism. So, I always believe that this is the core. This is the the the, the essence, and and I think that um, what you know what what technologies like like blockchain do is essentially demonopolization. So, mm-hmm. so they, they touch in the in the heart of the problem. They take all those monopolies and say, "Hey, here's a technology to do the same thing without the monopoly in the middle." Again, like open source did, like the internet mm-hmm. did, like the PC did. Like, mm-hmm. here's, is there a way to do that? Now it's up yeah. to us to adopt it and to find, and it's always a challenge to kind of find where's the best place to adopt it first. Yep. And you know, it's it, it, it was not clear what will be the first killer app. You know, uh, who knew that it's, and, and, and usually the killer app is like the simplest thing that you can imagine. Like, well, the first killer app was Bitcoin, right? Of blockchain. Yeah, but you know, I, I would argue the following. I would say, that the it was it was a killer app for blockchain but it was very 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 niche you know if you just look at the people that buy gold it's a very small niche yeah for example let's compare it to the web so uh oh even to the internet so email obviously killer app everyone emailing everyone needs that so but you know it's obviously it's it's obviously hard to get the network effect because you're not going to use it if everyone else not using it so yeah it was just for internet companies but what made yeah. people use that more than ever hotmail mm. why hotmail i heard the story i don't know if it's true but it sounds true that the first audience of hotmail was people having affairs <laughs> because it was the first time 
in history that you had a method for people that are having an affairs to communicate securely. Uh-huh. Everything else is left traces, whether it's your email client, whether it's calling your phone. To, uh, yeah. But if you have like a web-based email, and maybe, you know, that group became the niche that, you know, kind of grew out of that and, 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 and adopted it further and make it viral because everyone sees it, you know, get your free email, uh, hotmail. So it's very hard to guess what will be the killer up and, 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 and especially in scale. In, in yeah. So that- sometimes you have the killer app that's mass used by mass market just in the industry, like the one you're in, right? So consumer, there's sometimes apps that work behind the scenes, you know, like the majority of the AI apps that we see and download on our phone are based on a killer app that's used by um, B2B companies. Right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. But so if you think about Bitcoin as a first iteration of the future Coins that even, you know, Bancor used to raise funding, for example, which we'll talk about Bancor in a minute. But you said something, you gave a, a quote from uh, Nassim Taleb, who's the black swan author and, of course, a mathematician and a big critic of Bitcoin, um, calls Bitcoin the detector of imbeciles. By the way, for me, a lot of times social media is the detector of imbeciles and, uh, you know, a, a use of, of TikTok and stuff like that. And, um, for some people, but uh, jokes aside, um, I, I wonder, you know, you seem like the type of person who likes to read, uh, uh and listen to dissenting, uh, dissenting opinions. Is that also, yeah, is that also kind of like the evolution of change and the choice? Um, uh, and uh, of their opinions. So I, I have to say that, you know, I've been in the industry for a long time, since uh-huh. 2011. And in the first seven years of, you know, in, in the industry, I have to say that I was more fixated on the financial aspect of blockchain. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, at some point I thought that, you know, Bitcoin is going to be the next money that everyone in the world is going to use it and it's going to be great. And I'm not sure about it at all mm-hmm. today. I'm not mm-hmm. sure about it at all. I think that, um, you know, uh, our reason is a very tricky thing. This is why we had tribalism not just in crypto but also in politics because there's a great book that i would recommend everyone it's called the righteous mind why good people argue about politics and religions and you know it applies uh, you know i think the same way to um crypto because there's a quote that he brings in i learned about this quote uh, in the in the book by hume that says that something along the line that reason should not be regarded as nothing more than the servant it's of the slave passion. of passion right all right mm-hmm. good one yeah yes it should not be regarded as more and i think that's what he said is so profound that it's I, I don't know even where to begin because even if you understand it you you would still not see on yourself where yeah. your reason is driven by passion yeah and you're not gonna get off the couch you're gonna learn the hard way when it was driven by passion 
Yeah. I think everyone felt that the reason betrayed them on bull markets. Yeah. Everyone's like euphoric like hell because mm-hmm. they want to believe that it's yep. happened. Ron Paul. And mm-hmm. the, the reality is that you cannot trust this mechanism. It's, no. it's, we like to think about it as an objective judge. It's actually a very sleek lawyer. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can come up with excuses for everything and know to ignore the inconvenient truth. People lie out of reason. Elegantly. You know? And and you wouldn't feel anything weird about yourself. You wouldn't even mm-hmm. feel uh, that you're doing something wrong. And and I think, you know, when you have Bitcoin and you know that you're, you know, one of the first yeah. in the world, yeah, maybe you have a whole Bitcoin that's not going to be more than, you know, 20 million, uh, 21 millions with this amount. And there's yeah. like 7 billion people in the world. So if you have one big, you kind of guarantee your place. In it. It's a you want to believe it. You want to yeah. believe it. And one- you want others to believe it. And and people should be very, very careful of that. Yes. Very well, careful. One of the passions is fear, right? FOMO. So Bitcoin, I feel, is is driven by, by FOMO. Uh, but also I'm very surprised by people either being in love with Bitcoin or criticizing Bitcoin. Bitcoin is an MVP. Like if we were to forever use ICQ, like would we use ICQ in 2023? No, because ICQ was in 1999, and since then we've had Facebook, and there's every year something else comes out. Bitcoin is the first, for me, it's the first iteration. Yeah, but a lot of people in the industry are yeah. talking about Bitcoin as the end of all, the next, the, the new finance, the new world, the yeah. world's going to be Bitcoin, and, you know, they're going to have a lot, a lot of it. And, <laughs> and people talk about it like that, and when Nassim Taleb hears them, he's... You know, it's like, what a bunch of imbeciles. Uh, they <laughs> think that they can re-architecture the world economic system. And there's also this, and, and, and this is something that goes through our entire society. This kind of um, feeling that sometimes you, 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 you think people have, that everything we did until now is shit, but we know how to do it better. Absolutely. It's like, this world is all bad the whole structure is wrong we need to reset and and i'm like guys <laughs> have a moment of appreciation know, to the right? fact that you're living in the and jordan peterson actually talks about it a lot that yeah. you live in the time that is the most the greatest time to live in in history in mm-hmm. a place that is probably the best place in the world to live in in history and not every nation succeeded in that. Not every nation have their citizen having a conference, you know, video, you know, <laughs> about blockchain right now. It's, it's, it's not possible everywhere. And it, it took a lot of time and a lot of work. And we should have some appreciation to the fact that we can sit at home, yeah. have the electricity on, use the internet, pour out hot water, whatever we want. We should appreciate the, millions of people that worked so hard and were so innovative and fought so hard for us to have that in a democratic state that you don't have a king. I mean, so many people, so many people uh, dedicated their lives. So we start, we start by acknowledging that, honoring that and thinking, okay, from that point, how can I make it better? And usually 
the idea that starts with let's you know be done with all that and bring all this in are usually bad newest yeah bad news for everyone involved because we cannot predict the consequences and we should be measured improvement mm-hmm. that we can monitor and test it yeah. with that right yeah and, it's it's uh, it's it's absolutely right and also the financial system has been developed over thousands of years you know we had uh lending since well we we had let's say asset purchase uh, i would call the first asset purchase when abraham bought uh, a cave for his wife you know that there's some significant evidence that that actually happened in history for his deceased wife of course uh here in israel so you know things like that people were buying assets you know and it evolved all the way to bitcoin which is is just zeros and ones right and over a system uh, of different things and then things like nfts or even identity um and and stuff like that and you know we we can of course do another episode about that um but i'm actually i kind of want to um move the conversation towards uh bancor and defi because uh, you know on the one hand that's a super innovative way to um pool people's resources and give uh, demo- you know provide democratization and give individual investors power and being able to earn um um interest and capital and so on and so forth especially if they're not a part of this existing you know financial network that the west has developed and you know it's fantastic that 6 billion people or i don't know maybe 5 to 6 billion people do have uh uh or a few billion i don't know you maybe you tell me have access to what the world has to offer financial instruments and pension and banks but then a whole bunch of people don't and so it seems like banker has been successful to provide services and and the platform to that and i know bancor has uh, has done a few projects in africa with the unbanked i'd love kind of for you to summarize uh what is like the main points of bancor that you uh, that the company has been able to accomplish and where it's going from here so uh what what really uh, i think was the driving force that led to the innovation behind bancor is the fact that um we were dealing with you know doing a lot of experience with local currencies mm. the community currencies um being inspired by bitcoin and and the possibilities uh we started to play with those concepts and at around 2014 it, you know it became clear that we need that that there is a need a solution there's a need for a solution for liquidity between user generated tokens because they're not going to be traded in any exchange uh, anytime yeah. soon and there's not going to be liquidity and and the whole system doesn't work uh-huh. and at that point we started to kind of think about it and you know i started to tweak with all kind of simulators and ideas and and only kind of after ethereum became popular and i started to i would say grok the concept of of smart contracts that i you know i had this feeling that maybe with the smart contracts we can 
come with a, some kind of a liquidity solution for user-generated token. If we issue them on Ethereum, then maybe we can use those smart contracts to guarantee liquidity for those tokens. And uh, that's when, you know, I, I started to play with an Excel spreadsheet for several days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to try to kind of realize how to do that. And, and, and when, when we, you know, when I, I finally had the way, the, the solution, then it was kind of, un, you know, a crazy experience because I was walking in Israel to my Bitcoin crypto guys and saying, look, this is the idea and it's kind of solved decentralized exchange and guarantees liquidity to all the tokens. And essentially it's like mm-hmm. when you, when you set up a liquidity pool, yeah. you know, there's always an example that, that we like to, to say, if there's two tokens, I can set up a liquidity pool, deposit one tokens of one side, one token, the other token on the other side of the pool, and then kind of throw away the key, you know, transfer, transfer the pool to, to non-existent address. Mm-hmm. If, if I do that, then I'm, I'm forcing liquidity between those two tokens forever. And I'm mm-hmm. also forcing them to affect each other price in a way. Yep. So I'm, I'm really connecting them like you connecting two sub networks to a single mm-hmm. network. I'm connecting mm-hmm. them in a way that you cannot unconnect them until yeah. you, uh, unless you move the token from Ethereum altogether. But it, yep. it's, it, it's a permanent connection between tokens. And that was kind of the concept of, of liquidity. That is really cool. It's kind of like structured products in finance, by the way. You know, yeah. like SP 500, but that's a 500 token. You know, the funny thing is that I, I don't like finance. I never, I never did. I never invested in a single stock. I never bought anything. The only thing I bought was gold. And that was just showed before I discovered Bitcoin. And then I sold the gold. <laughs> but I never invested in anything. Uh, because it's, it's not, it's not interesting. I, 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 I'm in like real a estate. consumer, consumer app guy, right? Yeah. But yeah. maybe, maybe that kind of allowed me to come with a naive approach of let's find a solution for liquidity. Maybe that was helpful. I don't know. But yeah, uh, that was super helpful. <laughs> super helpful to thing. the whole market. That, that now you have like that and hundreds of de- DEXs all over the world, right? Yeah. And yeah. the funny thing is that when we release it, like no one got it. No one <laughs> got it. Which yeah. I cannot blame I can't blame them because you know when Vitalik released smart contracts, I didn't get it. I mean, it took me three years or uh, two years to, to, to finally get what the potential of the smart contracts mm-hmm. and what I can build about it. When I finally did and I would build a liquidity pool, no one got the liquidity pool. But, you know, that's life. It took years for people to start to appreciate, to embrace the concept. To, yeah, to it's like it. you said, the Hume's, uh, uh, Hume's quote, quote, right? Until mm-hmm. until they realize how you know uh, how it solves their problem, which usually is driven by fear, um, fear or love or whatever. Usually, usually I think fear is probably the driver of of most investment in my mind, and yeah. that's when you open up your wallet because when you're afraid your food's gonna run out in the fridge or you know your kid's not gonna um, I don't know go to kindergarten or whatever, right? So or you're gonna miss out on an investment. You're not gonna have money for pension. You're not gonna impress your date, you know, for whatever reason, right? That's kind of my philosophy. 
Um, very cool. So I have so many questions. I'm trying to see what else we can fit in. Yeah, like I don't know if we short. have a lot of time. I did want to say, by the way, on Banco, that they reinvented liquidity with this new product called Carbon. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. That right. really allows you to literally buy low, sell high. So you can define, for like an example, uh, order would be buy Ether between 1800 and 1600 to mm -hmm. USDC, whatever, and sell the Ether between 2000 and 2200. Yeah, and then it can actually go up and down and refill its reserve, and and so it's kind of a new, um, I would say, a new a new paradigm for liquidity that is much more aligned with liquidity providers' needs. Because you know, if I want to sell when Ether goes, you know, goes up, it doesn't mean that automatically I want to buy if it change direction, and that's kind of what Bancor, uh, uh, the new product Carbon. Uh, is offering, which is uh, really, really great. And they're doing it without me because I'm focused today on the BBS network. Exactly. Tell, so we kind of touched the, the communication paradigm or kind of, we, we spent a, a, a good amount of time on that. But how how will D-Web um, kind of help connect the world in a more decentralized, well, more well, fair way? We're not the only one that is doing it. There's other great projects like Lens and Farcasters and, and, and DSO and uh, there's more, uh, which if anyone succeeds, all of them succeeds because, you know, this the, the, the one that succeeds is just going to set up the standard, but then anyone can connect the standards and it doesn't yeah. really matter what data structure you use. It's, it's still going to be the whole, the beauty the beautiful thing about getting social media decentralized is that you're going to have one network on chain that everyone can access, everyone can read, everyone can contribute to, and you will have essentially endless number of you know products that can access it. So yeah. you can choose what client you want to use for your social. Yeah. Maybe you use several. Maybe you use for different things. Maybe. There's endless layers of um, so, review. And that's of, a new paradigm. It's in, because today the paradigm is, is completely stupid. It's like we have separate, completely separate network. I need to go and follow you in each every network. I need to, you know, check on my YouTube, on my Facebook. And not to mention that they're all copying each other formats. So everyone has stories. Everyone has TikTok. Everyone has photos. Everyone has everything. And, and now Facebook is doing Twitter as well, you know, as, as if it was not enough. So, so it's, it's, it's the worst, the worst consumer experience you can imagine. You know, it's, yep. it's like the age before the internet where you had like separate networks that has nothing yep. to do with each other. And the and messaging, you, 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 have, like, to, how stupid you have to check be, 15 but, apps, right? For the messaging, you have to check, oh, I messaged you here. Oh, I messaged yeah, you messaging there. Is messaging the same, you know, the, the, now you cannot blame them because they, in order to build to build in, in, in such a way that you have one center, it needs to, it needs a public database. Right. And the technology for public database is very new and just recently yeah. got the scalability that it can handle those loads. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're rebuilding that. Just like we rebuild everything for the internet. You remember there was software before the internet, everything goes. <laughs> yeah, everything <laughs> went away. Everything. So everything needs to be rebuilt as public, which again would change the world as we know it. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and Publish, but encrypted, right? I think the biggest category there because people spend 3.5 yeah. hours a day, you know, uh, 5 billion people, it's, it's unbelievable numbers. And, and, and the experience is so bad and we have so many problems like censorship. What is censorship? I mean, censorship is the problem of monopoly. It's not a problem with social media. Because right. if there was no monopoly, you can choose your sensor. It's not even sensor. It's moderator because the data is going to be on the blockchain. It's going to hide it from you because you don't like to see this and that and that kind of... And yeah. you can choose it. There's a free market. You can choose or, the filter. We're talking about problems of those algorithms that they have, mm-hmm. which are powerful. You know, if you let me yep. choose, people will see on social network, mm-hmm. I can control the world consciousness, right? Yeah. It's already been done. Power, but in a public social network, you will have thousands of competing algorithms. Everyone's, oh, I'm going to bring you better content than the other one. And you can choose that. several ones. So there's no no point of control of how to. And, and, and I think that's, you know, that's, that's the, 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 the main thing here that yeah. when, when, when you remove, when you demonopolize an industry, a lot of problems are solved by themselves and it creates opportunity beyond anyone's imagination. And you know we're we're happy to work in that in that space. We have our own strategy, which is creating a web two mm-hmm. compliant user interface. The user doesn't know he's on blockchain when they're using BBS, but everything is on chain. Yeah. Uh, is to use you know mobile apps or, mm-hmm. in order to be even in, to play in the game of social media. You need yeah. you know native mobile for the iPhone and the, and Android and. Yeah. And, and the last thing that we realize, I think, that is very important is that in order to succeed with social media, we need to build our own, I like to call it interactive content format. Because the only thing that made any social media service Popular. successful yeah. ever was that they the introduced content. interactive content format. It's the content format that matters. Everything else is the same, same notifications, same commentary. Yeah. All the same. Yeah. It's, it's the feed is the is, is the the format is what's different mm-hmm. between all the networks and the, and we're working on a format which is a new kind of discussions that are uh, I like to call video threads which is asynchronous video discussion where I can talk and then you can record at your own time your response but this guy can also record his response and someone can respond then to you and to me. And we transcribe it and we analyze the conversation with AI and there's a whole thing around it. Uh, and that's kind of the format that we're focused on. Now, what's the exciting. result of that? The is app that is like available. Uh, it's called BBS Network. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, we just released this new format. We're working hard on, you know, getting the first. We want to is that a B2C? Public. The BBS Network, is that a B2C app? It's a B2C app, yes. We so I can it. sign up right now, and but the format yeah, yeah. is coming up. Yeah, we launched the we launched the, the service in March, you know, May twenty twenty first. I mean, a long time ago. But nice. we launched the app, the native apps, only in the beginning of this year. Mm-hmm. A lot of work, and we launched the video thread format only like a month and a half ago so it's amazing weird. so i'll check it out i'll do some uh, my homework and then maybe we'll do another one of these because i th- i think we still have some topics you mentioned mm-hmm. you know kind of you mentioned uh, you mentioned david bowie and i'd be very curious to understand where actually music sharing distribution creation is going to go because i know that you're a musician too 
and then this video the, format the link is, to, to, to this is clip uh, on on this uh, episode uh, yeah for uh, sure no it's, it's blowing a, my it's mind on the internet 99 i know right it's blowing my mind like this whole um video format that you're talking about we discussed that um you know, i'd be interested to understand where we're gonna throw away all the you know useless data because uh, where is it gonna go and then um web like during our conversation all of a sudden i realized it's like with web one two three and so on we're kind of always adding another dimension i would even say not even iteration but we're just adding a dimension so we can explore that but that's going to be in the next episode <laughs> okay awesome well thanks for your time man it was fun and check yeah. us out on spotify apple Podcasts, wherever you see them maybe soon coming to bbs network who knows Sounds great. All right. Thanks, y'all. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.